Welcome back to Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast to bring you insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies and is sponsored this week by Holborn. Hello, everyone. I'm Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering the 2020 election. What issues are top of mind for insurers with less than a week left to vote? Plus, limiting underwriting factors. How a proposed bill in New Jersey could force insurers to break the law. And, like a good neighbor, State Farm CEO Michael Tipsard shares why the company's culture is driven by helping others. But first, with less than one week before Election Day, and with more than 66 million votes already in, former Vice President Joe Biden has a commanding lead in national polling. But Biden's lead in the polls has been smaller in key battleground states such as Pennsylvania. NAMIC Senior Vice President of Government Affairs Jimmy Grandy says, just like he did in 2016, Trump could still pull off an upset. President Trump seems to truly relish the underdog role and he is closing fast. The question remains whether he'll be able to close the gap enough to pull off a surprise victory again in 2020 or whether he comes up just short and Joe Biden is sworn in as president. We also asked Grandy to share his views on the legislative landscape and the lingering issues the property casualty insurance industry will face in 2021. There were a host of issues cast onto the property casualty insurance industry's plates in 2020 as a result of COVID, whether it was the retroactive attack on business interruption policies or the prospective pandemic program discussion at the federal level, uh, the liability shield that we've been seeking to put in place for businesses that seek to reopen following all of the guidelines so they don't have to face frivolous lawsuits. Uh, We are also beginning to see an unprecedented attack on underwriting factors um, and on risk-based pricing. We anticipate in 2021, uh, over 100 bills will be introduced at the state level to restrict underwriting and eliminate certain underwriting uh, factors. And we've already seen bills introduced uh, in Washington, D.C. that would eliminate uh, a dozen or more underwriting factors. NAMIC will have comprehensive post-election analysis to share with members next week. So be sure to check NAMIC.org for election insights. Speaking of restricting underwriting factors, the New Jersey Senate Commerce Committee last week voted to release a bill that would prohibit the use of education, occupation, and credit in auto insurance underwriting. NAMIC Regional Vice President Chris Stark told the committee last week that not only would the bill have unintended consequences for the most underserved communities in New Jersey, but it could also force insurers to break the law. Rate development is a time-consuming and complex process. When you remove factors from those a carrier is permitted to consider, it will affect all New Jersey's residents. It's likely that many of your constituents will pay more for coverage, therefore having the opposite effect of what is intended. New Jersey is a prior approval state. So what does that mean? It means that New Jersey law requires insurers to file rates and wait for approval before they can be used. Any carrier, that uses any of the proposed rating factors that would be banned under this bill 
will help have to develop and file rates. They cannot charge the new rates until they are approved by the Department of Banking Insurance. However, they cannot charge the old rates either without being in violation of this proposed law once it's signed into law. You're forcing insurers to choose if you move forward with this legislation today, which law they want to violate. This is an impossible predicament during this pandemic with the resources of government limited by remote working and other factors. Now is not the time to increase insurance for the vast majority of the population, nor time to force insurers to choose which law they're more comfortable breaking. Advocates for the bill view this legislation as an economic and racial justice priority. While the insurance industry produced numerous studies from regulators demonstrating that these factors are not proxies for race or income. Well, we've got something a little different for you on today's Unscripted. During NAMIC's 125th annual convention last month, one of our featured keynote presenters was the CEO of NAMIC's largest member company, State Farm. So today we want to share with you an excerpt from Michael Tipsert's discussion with our Chuck Chamness about the company's keys to success. Today I'm sitting down with the CEO of NAMIC's largest member company. I'm talking with Michael Tipsert. Chairman, CEO, and President of State Farm Mutual Automobile Insurance Company. Thanks for joining me today, Michael. It's great to talk with you, hear your insights, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. It's great to be here, and thanks for the invitation. Well, you know, let's talk a little bit about the pandemic and COVID-19 okay. and these times we're, we're operating in. Um, you know, what do you think the impact will be on our industry, both in the short yeah. term and in the long term? Yeah. Um, now, I suspect all of your member companies are experiencing issues similar to us. So at the top of my list, we have customers who are struggling to pay their bills. Right. The, the swift, unexpected impacts on industries like restaurants, airlines, entertainment, hotels, and so many small businesses, they're resulting in millions of people losing their jobs. And that's affecting their ability to pay their bills. That includes insurance. Mm -hmm. That will probably have an impact on the number of cars people own in the future, the houses they buy, the assets that they have to protect. Um, clearly, people are driving less, which is impacting the rates that they should have to pay for auto insurance. Now, you've seen our response here at State Farm. Initially, we decided to return almost $2 billion of premium to existing policyholders via, via mutual policyholder dividend. Mm -hmm. And that focused on the period of March 20th through May 31st. And then we took additional rate decreases this spring and summer based upon what we believe to be ongoing auto claim trends. Another, another aspect, people are changing aspects of their lives like spending more time at home. And many are making improvements to their homes, which could change the risk profile of the properties that we insure. I don't know if you've looked at this, but it's hard. It's a long waiting list for swimming pools. Mm -hmm. um, people are finding ways to enjoy their leisure time differently. We see that they're buying boats, utility vehicles, RVs. They're just experiencing life differently. Mm -hmm. And many of the changes that were already being undertaken, like enhancing our digital capabilities, those all accelerated as a result of this, of this pandemic. And people, they not only want, but now they need to be able to do more from their phones or in their homes. We've also seen a significant disruption of the investment environment with yields and spreads at record lows. And in that small business segment, we've seen some challenges to the industry's exclusion of the virus and pandemic as a covered peril of, of business interruption insurance. 
And we're seeing this issue play out in the courts as we speak. Now, most in the industry, they haven't collected premium to cover those losses. We know that. And we have to be careful to not compromise the contracts that we have in place. Notwithstanding the empathy that we all feel for those small business owners who have been hit so hard by the pandemic. And as you know, uh, we've seen some legislative interest in this topic as well. Another aspect, regulatory pressures. They are going to be pressures regarding the factors that we use in our pricing and the underwriting. And that's going to continue to increase in some of the jurisdictions. Wow, that's, uh, that's a lot of change. And I think we all see it. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's not just in business, but as you point out, in personal lives and the number of swimming pools, uh, you know, yeah. the, where people choose to live, how they choose to work, uh, how yeah. employers have adapted. I mean, I know talking with our NAMIC member companies, you know, we were worried initially, um, even at NAMIC, we had not experimented much with remote work. We had a series of remote yeah. workers, but, uh, you know, so much has changed. I think you're right. They won't go back to the way it was as we go forward. Yeah, new capabilities are known, right? Yeah. New expectations are created and people will respond about that. So let's talk about what insurers need to be focused on, given that we don't know when things are, if things will go back to what we would call normal and what makes you optimistic about the industry's future given all this? Yeah, yeah. So first, uh, I'm always optimistic when it comes to the insurance industry. Yeah. Think about the value of what we do as an industry. It's actually been reinforced by all these recent events. At the most basic level, our industry serves the significant purpose to help people navigate risk, navigate uncertainty. And as you said, people are feeling a great deal of uncertainty during this, this pandemic. People are seeking reassurance and protection. And as an industry, we can help provide that. And I also believe that we'll continue to find ways to adapt to the changing needs of our society, however they come. And I never want to minimize the significance of what we're experiencing with this terrible virus right now. Mm -hmm. But we should all consider all the major disruptions that we've been through over the past pick, 100 years, and the role our industry has played throughout that time. We will find ways to actually navigate through this uncertain of it. And as you talk about sort of focus, where our focus needs to be, and this is gonna reinforce your point as well. It starts with delivering on the promises that we make to our customers to give them that reassurance. Right. To your point, we play such a vital role in society. We enable commerce. We help with the management of risk that people and businesses face and ultimately provide that peace of mind to our customers. We enable them to move forward, to protect what they work so hard to create and, and be there for them to recover when disaster strikes. Maybe we can move away from the pandemic a little bit if we had okay. enough pandemic to, uh, yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready to move forward. <laughs> I am too. Are. Let's officially move beyond it, uh, hopefully okay. uh, in our lives as well. But um, <laughs> so our industry always is facing a number of issues. We know just in the past couple of weeks as we've had some, you know, yeah. 600 some wildfires in California and a hurricane, yeah. a category four hurricane made landfall. But there's also, you mentioned regulators and as, as they walk, side by side with us in the industry through these issues and new challenges like cybersecurity yeah. or developments around autonomous vehicles, which is a regulatory story in part, but a technology right. story as well. So yeah. what do you see these issues and, and any others you'd throw in the mix going? 
So let's, let's start at a high level. There's so many unknowns confronting us as an industry, as you said. Almost every aspect of our value chain, it has the risk of technological disruption. And plus, we have the added risk that the very need for what we provide, at least in terms of auto insurance, it could be eliminated by technological advancements in auto safety and accident avoidance. And so as we approach all of these issues, I think we need to assume that, number one, there's going to be more technological advancements. They're inevitable, and the pace is going to accelerate. The value of data and the analytics associated with that data is going to continue to rise. There's going to be debates over data ownership and data access, and those, are just, those debates are going to escalate. And the expectation is of privacy, they're all going to increase. So I think we have to assume all of those factors. And I believe it's impossible to predict with accuracy how all this is going to unfold. And so as a result, again, we need to create optionality for our businesses, and we have to create the capacity for us to adapt quickly. Let's talk a bit about autonomous vehicles. And as you know, that's, that's a conversation in and of itself. And so at a high level, we are supportive of technological advancements that improve automobile safety because that's good for the customers we serve. We need to consider these technological advancements on a continuum and not just go to level five autonomy. We still have a long ways to go before we have fully autonomous vehicles in all locations, in all weather conditions. And so we're going to have to operate in a world in which there are varying degrees of machine-operated and human-operated vehicles on the roads all at the same time. And we should never underestimate the pace of these technological advancements, at least in those environments where the benefits would be the greatest. We have to be prepared for the eventuality that the cost per unit of auto insurance will not increase at the rate it has in the past and also has the potential to decrease. And the automobile technological advancements, they're going to be a contributing factor to that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think there is some irony involved. As you mentioned, the technology that continues to make cars safer. So much of that has been driven by the 55, 58-year experiment funded by our industry, the Insurance Institute for Highway mm-hmm. Safety, right. which State Farm has been you know, a leader of from day one, helped found yeah. And and I'm on the board. I see the work that your company does and all our other member companies there. But IHS is driving so much of the technology. It is saving Great. real lives. And it's all related to this development of technology right. that could ultimately lead to the ultimate safe vehicle, a driverless vehicle, since we know many of the accidents are caused by drivers themselves. I remember at the uh, 50th anniversary of IHS, Bob Hartwig spoke and said, this is probably the greatest public health story never told. Right. The story of the right. safety that our industry brought to, you know, uh, auto yeah. use and automobiles. Right. So the so issues with with tires, child child infant seats, and all the work that's been done to improve that to improve that. It is a it's a great untold story, and and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know it was the right thing, and we know that we we help people, yeah. and so we're we're comfortable with that. So. Let's broaden a little to, you're a leader in our industry in many areas, and you've been doing it now for almost 100 years. Is there a key to success uh, with with State Farm that you'd care to share? Uh, And how important is corporate culture in maintaining or attaining this success? Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to visit about this. Um, I think you have to start by recognizing that there are so many things that we need to do better. 
Um, we can never take our leadership position for granted, and we know we have to earn that every day. Competition's fierce. And we can never allow ourselves to fall into the trap of thinking our past success is some sort of guarantee of future success. Uh, to the culture issue, our mission, it's rooted in helping people. And I believe that defines our culture. And then that culture, it's actually coupled with a motivation to grow. And so simply stated here at State Farm, our goal is to help more people in more ways and be able to do that forever. We have a lot of people who work for State Farm or represent our brand as agents or those agent team members. All this, we got different jobs, but no matter what you do at State Farm, we all have one thing in common and that's this noble purpose to help people. Mm -hmm. So everyone associated with State Farm knows it's our responsibility to help people. And there's something inspiring about that. And I think that's, that's why you see the kind of tenure we have here, here at State Farm. People start their professional careers here and end their professional careers here. And I believe that goes beyond just the kind of work that they do or the benefits that we offer. And most people are here because they're inspired by our purpose of helping people. And so with that as a foundation, what you see at State Farm, it's a very relationship-based culture. So our personal relationship, State Farm agent-based model, I think that's been the, the key, key aspect of our success. Well, it's part of what makes you a great association member because we engage in so many of those places on your behalf and with your support and the support of other member companies. I'd say, and I, I talk with our team uh, routinely about this, we're so fortunate to have this industry that we represent and that we serve that, A, it needs us to be successful because... Right. It's a heavily regulated industry, and uh, regulation and public policy matters. And then B, they are these, you know, shareholder or policyholder-focused mutual insurance companies, right. uh, perfectly aligned with their customers, uh, who have an important mission: putting people's lives back together. So, the combination of those two factors makes our work so meaningful and so important at NAMIC. And um, right. I think you've talked a little bit about some of the issues that uh, that are driving it now. Yeah. So. Diversity and inclusion has been a right. leading topic for a long time, and certainly in the past right. few months. Can you talk about, and I know State Farm has done amazing work on right. it um, going way back. Can you give us a sense of how diversity and inclusion is uh, in your corporate culture and what kind of initiatives yeah. you have to support it? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, again, I start at the very fundamental level that I believe the more informed the debate, the better the decisions coming out of that debate. And I believe the more diverse the inputs that enter into the debate, the more informed it will be. Mm -hmm. And I believe we benefit as an organization by creating work environments in which every person can be their very best. And so as a part of this, we must respect and embrace others' differences. Everyone deserves to feel safe and free to celebrate the things that make them who they are. And so we incorporate diversity and inclusion, and I would add belonging, into what we do, whether it be recruiting or vendor procurement or marketing or training. It's always embedded in that. Another example that I point to is the operation of our employee resource groups. And, and one of six of our employees, they belong to an ERG. Hmm. Another area that I focus is our strategic philanthropy and foundation at State Farm, in which we provide assistance directly as a company but what we also do is we empower our employees and agents, 
financially to support them in their efforts. And I want to take a moment to talk about what we did following the killing of George Floyd. Now, I've never viewed my role as CEO as this platform for me to espouse my own personal views on societal issues. Instead, my focus has always been to use this platform to talk about those issues that are important to our customers, to our company, to our people. And in this case, I knew silence wasn't the answer. And so I made a statement uh, both internally to our associates and externally as well. And what I wanted to do, Chuck, is just read an excerpt from the message that I shared with our employees, and hopefully this gives a, a feel for this. And this is what I said. We embrace the responsibility to make the world around us better. And we must push ourselves to go beyond the normal course of business to influence change and create compassion. I've seen the difference you make in the lives of others. I've seen the good that you can accomplish. I ask each of us to dig deeply within ourselves to live out the values we all share at State Farm every single day. I find hope in all that you and the noble purpose that draws us all together to help people. I've always believed State Farm is a beacon of good in our society, and right now, our society needs beacons of good. May we all help each other grow to be even better. And since then, since all of that, since that statement, we've opened up so many new conversations with our organization. As uncomfortable as they may be, we're all growing from that. We formalized the role of our chief diversity officer. And I'm proud of what we've done at State Farm when it comes to diversity and inclusion and how we're growing to more of a belonging sense. Mm -hmm. And so we've taken steps this summer to be sure that we're doing more and holding ourselves accountable to make progress. Well, those are powerful words from the, the comments after the George Floyd uh, killing. And, you know, I think the key words in, in the discussion after that, you know, first seek to understand. Right. Uh, that's a part of a leadership model that we use. And uh, those are such important words. And they apply to so many of these challenges, even including, you know, politics, where we're in the midst of a presidential election, certainly matters of race. And our um, responsibility to uh, be there for all people. I mean, right. we're an industry that is woven throughout communities and that's needed by everyone of every walk of life. So, um, you know, I, I, I think so many of our members are focusing on, on this with renewed emphasis. Um, and I think, you know, your model will be uh, one that is, is uh, appreciated by many. So before we wrap up, Chuck, I just want to ex extend my sincere appreciation for all that you've done for our industry and for NAMIC. It's, we've benefited so much from your strong, and I would say courageous leadership. And I've appreciated your support and all that you've done for our industry. So on behalf of all of us at State Farm, I just wanna say a heartfelt thank you for everything that you've done for us. Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, it's easy to do the right thing when our members are focused on the right thing. And if you're focused on policyholders and the policy advocacy and even the response to some crises along the way is driven by the right motivation, you know, we should all be courageous and we, we have tried to be in over certain periods. Well, again, we appreciate everything and, and it, was a, it was an honor to have this visit with you. To watch the entire keynote presentation with Mr. Tipsard, please visit NAMIC.org. The video will be available to members through the end of this year. And that's a wrap for us this week on Insurance Uncovered. 
I'd like to thank Holborn again for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to tune in again on November 11th when we'll be back with more insurance news and interviews. Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day and don't forget to vote.